0: Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash mom hour. Hey everyone, Sarah here. The episode you're about to hear is part of a fun host swap we're doing with the wonderful ladies of the Edit Your Life podcast. In today's show, you'll hear Asha Dornfest and Megan talk about raising siblings. And then later this week, I sit down with Christine Ko over on Edit Your Life to talk about work at home productivity hacks. Make sure you're subscribed to both shows, ours and the Edit Your Life show so you don't miss these episodes. Okay, onto the show. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown.
1: We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis, and this week... I'm here with a very special guest host, Asha Dornfest. Hey, Asha.
2: Hi, Megan. How are you doing?
1: I am fantastic and really looking forward to our conversation. Um, If you guys don't remember, you think, I know that name. How do I know that name? Asha is the co-host of the Edit Your Life podcast, which we are huge fans of. But you and I also had a fantastic conversation not too long ago. It was episode 31 of Voices, Um, so like a couple of months ago, a few months ago. Yeah, where we talked yeah. about older kids, parenting older kids.
2: Well, uh, and I, this this is a
1: topic that I think we could pretty much talk about every day of our you know
2: <laughs> of our of our motherhood lives right now.
1: Yeah, we really so. could because we're both in it. Um, but this week we're actually talking about siblings, and we're going to hit it from both kind of the um, older kid and younger kid perspective. I know that you said that you and Christine Co, who's your co-host on Edit Your Life, and I should say that Christine and Sarah are going to be doing a swap as well. So. They're going to have an episode in your feed mm-hmm. of it at your life where they're going to chat with each other. So we're kind of doing like a fun little—I don't know—it's like Freaky Friday around here. It's sort of like a podcast sleepover. <laughs> it is. It is. It's Freaky <laughs> Friday. Only it's Tuesday, and it is like a podcast sleepover. It's like a, just a big old pod swap happening. Um, but you said that you had a question, or you often get questions from your listeners about introducing new babies into the household.
2: Yes, indeed. So we have uh, at, at one point we did a really, really interesting listener survey. And we also always invite our listeners to, you know, give us their questions and make suggestions for for episodes. And one of the questions that we have gotten actually more than once is how does it work when you introduce a new baby into the how into the into the family? And how do you help older siblings sort of transition and, and all that sort of tip? And wisdom stuff when it comes to a growing family. So I'm very excited to talk to you about this because I feel like you know we have we have so many different perspectives.
1: We do, and you've got two kids, so you guys you've seen it kind of play out in a two child family. And Sarah's got three, so we talk sometimes about playing out in a three child family. And I've got five, so we could talk about that as well. But we also get that question quite a bit, and we're also going to delve into how those relationships change and evolve and grow as the kids grow and as they become young adults and then some, you know, eventually move on in their lives and leave the house, which I know is something you're you're right in the thick of right now. Oh,
2: I'm in the thick of it. And I think one of the reasons I'm so excited about this conversation is that in in different ways, both you and I can really speak to this whole trajectory from yeah. like the beginning until they move out. That's sort of an amazing, uh, I, I I'm a little amazed to find that I can even speak about that, but yeah. I can, and I think you can too. So I think this is gonna be such a great conversation.
1: Here we are, it's come full circle, Asha. We've known each other since our kids were little and we're here we are talking about them being grown ups. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we can done got old, right? I know. <laughs> Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience,
0: Listeners, Our
1: Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Asha. So we're going to start at the beginning of this journey, which as we both mentioned for, for us was a while ago, right? Um, right? So I will just generally talk about my memories and experiences introducing new siblings. And then mm-hmm. I'd love to hear yours as mm-hmm. well. And then we can kind of talk about, I guess, what we glean from that. So probably the most memorable addition, um, there was two, there was one on each end, was the second baby and the final baby for me. The reason I really remember the second one is I was definitely the most stressed out about it. Um, I I remembered walking through um, Michael's craft store with my almost two-year-old Jacob is my oldest in the cart and just having this very visceral feeling all of a sudden that, because I was hugely pregnant that this would maybe be the last time he would get to ride in the front of the cart, you know, like the little with his legs down and like oh, he was just yeah. big enough to do that. And we were having fun and I would, Push him and like kind of lean in for a kiss and like we, I just was a very silly mom in those days. (laughs) I don't do that at the store with my kids so much anymore. But with my like toddlers, I was very silly and like it was a lot of baby talk and and just goofiness and interaction. And then suddenly I thought, next time I'm here, there could be a baby's car seat between us. Like where would Jacob even be? And I, like I couldn't in my mind wrap my brain around it because it had been just he and I for so long. And that was very emotional. And I really had. Um, A hard time kind of grasping that. Did you have anything similar to that that you remember?
2: You just you just caused an explosion in my head because (laughs) I remember it very keenly. And I my moment actually happened when uh, well, I should say I have two children, uh, my son and my daughter, and they're a little almost four years apart. So when my daughter was born, my son was almost four. So um, when I was at that hugely pregnant stage, I remember sitting at, sitting on his bed at night, reading him a book. Hmm. And, you know, thinking about that, it was that same sort of precious solo moment that was just, it was just a moment of calm. And let me just say, there weren't a lot of moments of calm at that stage of his life yeah. and, and our life together. But I remember having that same completely poignant feeling. And actually I felt very heartbroken. Yeah. Like there's going to be a stranger in between us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, like who is this imposter baby? Like for a second, I just felt like all I could feel was this massive love for my oldest. And I didn't
1: know the, no, the this youngest is just a, yet. Just a, they're a blank. They're like a question mark. Exactly. Yes.
2: So I remember it well. I really do.
1: Yeah. And I was, I, I remember feeling, um, just as much heartbroken for myself as for this sort of, I guess, these feelings I was really projecting onto Jacob. I really didn't know that he would feel displaced or upset or any of those things, but in my mom anxiety, my mom lizard brain, as I like to call it, like that's where my mind went immediately to the negatives and, and what this was going to take away from him or do to him. Um, on the flip side, I will say bringing my final—I I knew by the time I had number five, and you know she was a girl, and it just felt like this, bit, like the girl at the end of the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing—and I just I knew that she would be their last, and um, in a way that I hadn't known with any of the others, and something about that felt very different. But that's the difference between once you've gone through something like bringing a new sibling into the house three times, when you get to the fourth time you realize you're not imposing it on someone and it's a gift. It's something that you're adding to the family, not taking away. So it was a very different experience and I remember it very well, but like for a very different reason, right? It was like much more excitement and everyone kind of in the same, like everybody's just equally excited. And so I focused with Clara a lot more on the good side than I did um, with Isaac, unfortunately for little Isaac. But so let's talk about the reality of what that was actually like. So Isaac was born and my life went from very simple. Um, Jacob was a calm kid. He was easy. We, had, we were buddies. Like we had our routines down. And Isaac was difficult and loud, cried a lot, nursed all the time. Um, and yet, when I think about the actual experience of bringing him into the family, I don't view it through the lens of taking something away from Jacob. And he never felt like a stranger. That's like the funny thing. Like that whole feeling like, oh, there's going to be this stranger in between us never actually came to pass for me. How about you?
2: Well, so I think that's the thing. So first of all, two things. Number one, you said, um, you know, in your anxiety, you were sort of projecting all of these, these negative, like, oh no, what if, you know, what if they feel this way? What if they feel that way? And it didn't Come to pass that way. So I think that's the first thing that I totally recognize in myself, too. I had all sorts of what ifs going on in my head while I was still pregnant. But if I look back at that time, very few of those things actually happened. And then other things happened that I didn't expect it. So I think that's the first thing I would say. And then the second thing I would say about the whole stranger thing, oh, yeah, that completely went away when this little person was born, obviously. And again, it was just a sort of a little mental trick that uh, my brain was playing on me. And I think let's just give ourselves a little grace. I mean, Mm. it's an intense time, both in terms of just the reality of of transition, but also hormonally. I mean, the whole thing, it's so intense. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, by when it actually happened, the reality was so much um so much easier. and also, you know, when you're in something, it's always easier than the anticipation. I yes. mean, maybe it's not easy. i'm not that's not to say it's easy but but the anticipation's always worse, and it is and in my case, um My son, Sam, um, he was the the challenging baby who didn't sleep and cried all the time. Mm. And my second, my daughter, Mira, was like Zen baby. (laughs) She had the opposite. Yeah, I had the opposite. And so, you know, I think the reality of it was actually in, in fact, it turned out to be easier for me to have two kids than it did to have, than it was to have one, because somehow it just balanced out so many emotions that I was having about motherhood and it, it, it actually simplified things, which sort of blows people's minds when I say that.
1: Uh, well, it is such an individual experience and everybody experience. There is no such thing as like the typical oldest. There is, right. there's just no such thing. And like, exactly. Who, which, which one is going to be the hardest, you know, going from zero to one, one to two, two to three, they're all hard in their own way. But, you mm-hmm. know, for me going from one to two was probably the hardest transition And going from two to three was the hardest like realization. Like this is when I throw my hands up and surrender. So like (laughs) those are very different experiences. But if Mm -hmm. you if your first baby is really hard, that's probably gonna be your hardest transition because you're Mm -hmm. going from just you all the time, footless and fancy free, to not only being a mom, but being a mom with a really difficult or time, you know, like a baby who just needs a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it it is so it is so individual and and there's no predicting that unfortunately. I wish we well, could.
2: Well, and hopefully that'll give folks some comfort listening to this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, it's it, it's just one of those things where you look around, you see what's going on with other people and you think to yourself, why is my life so so right. nutty and 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 sort of out there? And of course, it's like that
1: for everyone in different ways. Yes, it really is. Like, what is it that if um, expectation is met, like happiness is an expectation that's met,
0: <laughs> but right. like
1: so often those expectations are not met, and then we have mm-hmm. to readjust our expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about some of the practical things. So you, you bring home this new baby, and even if they're not a stranger, and even if it isn't something you've done to your child, which I think is something Sarah and I have talked about several times in this show, like a new baby is not something you're doing to your older child. It is a shift. It's a relationship. It's a new relationship that everyone has to adjust to. All that said, um, there will be some feelings, (laughs) right? So how did that play out? You have many, many feelings and like, how did that play out for you guys? Mm -hmm. And kind of, I guess, lead us through, did you, did any tips come out of that? yeah yeah yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's funny when I, I I was really I was spending some time before we started recording, really thinking about this, like really trying to put myself back in that place. and um, you know, feelings. so I one thing I really tried to do, and it was hard because it was, you know, the first time we were doing this, but what I really tried to do was to sort of release my expectations about what feelings were going to come up, um, mm-hmm. both for myself and also for my son. You know, like, uh, sure, it could be that he would be uh, jealous and feel rejected. It could also be that he would fall in love with his sister and want to hang out with her all the time. Or it could just be like, eh, whatever. Right. Um, You know, detail that's not relevant to me. There's somebody else in the house. It could also be
1: all three of those things. At Uh, (laughs) the same day, at the same time.
2: Yep. (laughs) So that was the first thing I did was I, I really tried to release those feelings. And in our case, um, the way it worked out was it started out sort of neutral, um, then sort of, uh, just was a big roller coaster between positive and negative emotions. Um, that's what it was for all of us. And, you know, and I felt guilty and then I felt elated. And then I felt uh, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I felt, Oh, uh, everything's going okay. I mean, it was just, there was a similar roller coaster like when my son was first born. I mean, mm. it's a huge transition.
1: It is. I think that one thing, you know, it is really hard to acknowledge that all those different feelings can coexist or just one of them might rise to the surface. And mm-hmm. I think there's this, um, tendency or urgent this urge to like talk a kid out of what they feel. Oh yeah, totally. And this is something I know that we're all guilty of wanting to do it many different times. <laughs> like your teacher's not really mean. Like you know those things yes. or so whatever it is, whatever they tell us is the truth that we don't really want to hear or we right. wish they felt something different. It's very tempting to try to talk them out of it. So, I think there's other ways to reframe it, right? Like you can allow them to express it. That doesn't mean they get to hit the baby. That doesn't mean they get to be hit you or lash out at you, but they can still have the feelings that they have.
2: Absolutely. And and I think, you know, the more we can sort of separate the feelings and the behavior, the mm-hmm. easier it is. Um and so what I mean by that is that basically anyone can have any feeling. Yeah. I mean, feelings are just feelings. They sort of live in our They live in our minds, our bodies. Behavior, on the other hand, we have to have some really clear boundaries on. But I think that um, when a kid or even we, when we allow ourselves to feel these feelings and talk about them and express them without this sort of shame and guilt around it and at least be present for that feeling, Mm. um, while also being really clear, like, yeah, you know, you're angry. You wish this Baby would, uh, you know, stop crying or would uh, stop hanging out with mom. And you want to be with mom, you know, just reflecting it back, but yet being very clear about what the behavior expectations are. I think that really helps. I mean, that helps probably um, shorten this period of like rough transition, you know, when there's room for those feelings.
1: And I think that you can commiserate a bit. I mean, I remember having conversations with not just with Jacob um, when he was, little, but even with the kids, all the kids as they grew older and we added more and more siblings to the house, like you wish the baby would stop crying, right? Me too. (laughs) I also (laughs) wish the baby would stop crying. And then you have like an opportunity really to build empathy. We're all here together. Mom's not just a robot Mm -hmm. who's just powering through because this baby is the most important thing in the house. Like we're all important. And I think one thing that really shifted in our family dynamic, not right when the second baby was born, it took a little longer, but you start to realize that a family is a unit and things are done for the good of the unit over like any one individual. Most of the time, sometimes Mm -hmm. what's good for the individual is also what's good for the unit. But like there becomes that distinction that we're this, we're this, um, we're a family. We're, we're Mm -hmm. all together in this. And, right now the baby's crying, but here's what we're going to do to try to work through this. And do, and that's a lot for a two-year-old to understand. But I think mm-hmm. the more we model that, the more like they kind of grow into it.
2: Oh, totally. And I think also using that language really helps because if you think about it, um, you know, a family of uh, parents plus a kid, I mean, really the focus is going to be on the kid and that's the language we use. Mm-hmm. I, when I think about when, um, you know, it was just my son, you know, we would talk about, him a lot. Mm -hmm. And then right when my daughter arrived, we talked about our family. And I think that even using those words, talking about our family, what does our family do? How does our family talk to each other? You know, our family's honest about things, our family, this and that, that really does, that does start reframing things. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, this stuff all takes time too, Yeah, you know, I think that's the other thing.
1: Yeah. And it, and it occurs to me that even if you were a one child family, that, that transition would start to occur as well, but it would just Mm -hmm. happen differently. So Mm -hmm. probably when little kids start to become a little less inwardly focused and can start to see needs around them and have empathy, that's when those conversations start to shift from you or I to we. And Mm -hmm. when you add a sibling, you just almost have to start doing it sooner or like Mm -hmm. you have to do it really intentionally. Otherwise it is very easy for everyone to be kind of looking out for themselves. And, and, and that's very natural, by the way, like that's what two-year-olds do. That's what children really do. Yeah,
2: no, that's really true. I, you know, it's funny. I I actually have a question for you. Sure. And I'm wondering, you know, I know that like this whole talk about language and stuff, Mm -hmm. did you have to really teach your kids positive ways to express their negative emotions? Like, did you have to be super intentional about talking about that? I mean, even Ex, like teaching them how to express their positive emotions. I oh. know I did. I'm, I'm interested to know if That's you a good felt question.
1: that way. I, I think it really varied based on the kid. I had some who were um, just naturally very expressive. Um, Jacob's actually a good example of that. Like I, he talked a lot. He talked about his feelings. Um, Clara also talks a lot, talks about her feelings. Now, interestingly, Isaac, who was the second um, to this day is a very reserved kid verbally. And he was kind of a holy terror physically when he was little, like very, he was really smart and he was very, he, he had a huge vocabulary. He just didn't use it to talk about things. He didn't express his feelings. He threw things or hit people. That that mm-hmm. was how he did that. And then mm-hmm. as he was, as he got a little older and learned how to like say what he had to say, he, I, we saw him, his physicality become more controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, to some degree, it, but it's not, it's not like a conversation you have once and they get it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you've, it's like over and over and over, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's okay. Like you can say, I'm angry at you because you took this toy, but it's not okay to hit them and yank the toy away or whatever the example is. And yes, there was a lot of talking and modeling. It just didn't happen with all of my kids the same way.
2: Right. Right. You know, it's sort of funny. Um, uh, it occurs to me also Now, we did not have this issue, but I know um, I've spoken to some parents who do have this issue, and that is that the older sibling, it's sort of like the other end of the spectrum. They love their new baby so much that they like squeeze them really hard and they want to pick them up all the time and they want to like like a little doll or something. Uh And so there's like teaching that has to happen on that end of the spectrum too, like how not to overlove their new little babies.
1: Yes. And that the baby is, is like its own sentient being, not your pet, right? Like not (laughs) a little doll, right. To shove
2: into like a little doll stroller or something.
1: Yeah. 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 That's, did you have that dynamic with, with yours or? No, No, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely you were like not. no. Oh, that's No, no, no. Sam
2: yeah. was Sam I think like Isaac, you know, yeah. he uh he didn't express a lot of things with words. It was all about, yeah. There was the throwing stuff and yelling for sure. Um yeah. that was sort of his way, but um no, that was that was not an issue, but I do know that it is an issue for some.
1: Yeah. I would say as as my as I added more and more kids to the family, um there was some of that. I kind of lucked out in that the older of the two groups, so mine came in, you know, there was two, there was Jake and Isaac and they were about two years apart. And then there was a gap, about four years. And then there was uh, um, two, William and Owen, about two years apart. And then there was like a three and a half year gap and then Clara. Luckily, the older of the two sets, Jacob and William, were not super physically expressive with the like with the younger siblings. Had it been reversed... I could see how that would have been a problem, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were just like a little steadier and a little more verbally um, expressive and not as like, I'm going to squish you. I will say the more kids we added, the less the little kids seemed to want to do for themselves, like the babies, because they had so many little or big siblings doing stuff for them. Like Clara would barely crawl. (laughs) She just kind of sat there and waited for people to carry her around. Right. Um, Someone's going to do it. Someone she really kind of had this expectant <laughs> look on her face most of the time as a baby, she would right. just kind of sit there and, like, yep, here I am being cute. So, who's, who's gonna who's, bring me over to that who's toy? Got this, yes, and you know, it. And I remember even worrying about that a little bit, like, is this yeah. okay? And honestly, it was totally fine. She did learn to walk, um, because babies develop me developmentally, they want to learn to do things, it's not like she liked being totally taken care of in that way. I think she just got a little bit used to it. It just made Mm -hmm. it so there was always someone there to pick her up and carry her or do something for her or whatever. So yeah, she came to it a little more slowly, but eventually she got it. And she (laughs) also learned skills from that. Like she really learned how to work this group of boys. like, she really learned her place and how to, I guess, I'm not going to say take advantage of, or Um, right. How to operate in her surroundings. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Yes. And that's been a valuable thing for her to know. I I think that's, it's been interesting to watch her grow up now and get, get older. So yeah, they, I think those dynamics, you know, there's no perfect, like this is not a movie. It's not a a textbook. Um, if you add a sibling, so much of what's going to happen is based on ages, what kind of place you live in, where, like, what's your schedule like? What's their personalities like? What's the age gap? Like there's so many variables and Mm -hmm. you can't control for all the variables.
2: Well, that's true. And I think also, um, which reminds me, we should talk about sharing rooms. So I'm going to make a note to, to talk, talk to you about that in a minute, but I guess, you know, what, what all of that is telling me is that, you know, what that allows for is just, a little bit of deep breathing and going, okay, so you can basically take it as it comes, as opposed to having to map out some sort of perfect introduce new sibling strategy. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like you can trust that first of all, these are, you know, two or more very different people from each other talking about the siblings themselves, the kids. And as you get to know this new sibling who's just arrived, you will start to understand how better to manage the relationship. And, um, and, and in the end, it really is their relationship. You know, you, uh, you as the parent can help, you know, by, you know, doing all these things that we're talking about, making room for feelings and, you know, sort of narrating, um, how to talk about feelings and all that kind of stuff, setting boundaries for behavior. But in the end, it really is their relationship. And so that is a beautiful thing to, to actually watch, um, blossom
1: yeah I cannot agree more and I think that anytime you kind of you try to come up with a strategy for how you're going to manage someone who doesn't exist yet or who hasn't <laughs> you haven't met yet you're probably going to have to do some adjusting so right, I like right. that. I like that approach yeah um yeah let's talk about sharing rooms yeah. so we never really had the option of not sharing rooms uh, yeah. the only the only time let's see Clara never shared a room because by the time she came along we were just in a house where she had her own room, and you know the boys by that point were kind of off in their twosomes, right? Like two and two. But other than that, my kids always shared rooms, and it was just a reality, you know. Like it, right. it just had to happen that way, so it did, and it was fine. I mean, it's not perfect; it's still not perfect. Two of my boys still share a room, and they complain about each other's music, and they complain about each other's alarm clocks and everything else. But um, it's just, it's just been such a reality that I've never really thought about it any other any other way.
2: I'm glad you said that because I think that um, you know that that's a question for so many people. Sort of like, do we need to get a bigger place? Do we need right. to do this? Do we, you know, and um, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, in some cases, it's just it's just really not a choice, one way right. or the other, and which which sort of means that it's going to work however you do it. Um, It It's
1: like, it's like if you, if you have the means or you want to move into a bigger house or you think that's the right choice for your family by all means, yes. but don't stress yourself out that you owe it like a birthright to your children to have separate bedrooms because just because that's the way this culture has, you know, operated for the last maybe 20 to 30 years doesn't mean like, I'm sure a lot of the people listening remember growing up with shared bedrooms and certainly Mm -hmm. our older siblings and our parents grew up with, multiple kids in one room often. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just because the culture just doesn't mean you have to.
2: That's true. And, um, I will say that my, so my kids, we had this funky bedroom in our house that was, uh, sort of like a bedroom plus a dormer. And there was just an, an open little archway between the two. So no door between the two. And so the dormer room was just sort of like this little alcove, I guess you could say. Mm. So for the longest time, that's, sort of how my kids shared a room. So a boy and a girl, you know, different ages, sharing a room with separate spaces, I guess you could say. And so, uh, but then when um, my son became, uh, was he like a middle schooler, teenager? Now I can't remember exactly which year it was. Uh, we, We had enough bedrooms in our house. Like I had an office to myself and we had a guest room and we changed things around so that the kids could have their own bedrooms because um, because we could do it and, and yeah. it just felt and like the right thing to do. at that age, it does get to the
1: point, you know, they probably would like a little more privacy and, yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah. It worked out. It's funny because Clara, there's like a, a, a joke that like a recurring joke in the household that Clara's had her own room since she was a baby and never wanted her own room. And William's been wanting his own room since he was a baby and has never had it. So like <laughs> the two of them are kind of like jealous of each other, and yes. it's just kind of funny because, like, they always want what they can't have, right? Yeah. yeah I also remember when my um when I just had like a mass of little kids in my house because at one point, I had five kids under eleven or eleven and under in the house um at once, that my bedroom became the place where solo time with mom happened, so Like there was no there was no place in the house that I could go where there weren't multiple people usually, except I could invite the kids one by one into my room to talk to me. Step step
2: into my room. Yeah, step
1: into my room. Let's have a snuggle. Let's talk about your day, blah, blah, blah. And so that's actually really
2: special. You know what I mean? That there is this sort of, you know, there's this protected space where that can actually happen.
1: And and I had to think a little differently about how I felt about privacy. And, and there's no judgment there. If you want your bedroom to be a kid-free space, by all means. But for me, I thought, well, that's this is just the most practical way that I can create the environment I want to create for my kids to be able to talk to me they know they can come in here and shut the door and I'm usually in my room anyway. Cause I work in my room and I hang out in my room. Like I, my bed, I'm very bedroom focused. So this can, it becomes like a Haven. And so um, it's still that way. I can still tell them the kids want to talk to me. They hover around my bedroom door. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I bet
2: they have, I bet they have so many, like, they probably just have like these warm fuzzy mm. unfocused feelings about that room yeah, because of special time they got, you know, just with you. And I, I think um, it's sort of, nice to think about that predictable solo time together. Mm. It may or may not be predictable, but you know, that solo time with each kid, it doesn't have to be a lot. It right. can just be a little bit. And um, I think sometimes when people are introducing new siblings to the family, they think, oh my gosh, like let's take the older one to Disneyland or right. let's take the that's older mean, that's
0: one. A huge thing. Yeah.
2: Right. Like it, with, with some sort of implicit apology in there, like, right. we're sorry that we have this new kid. We're taking you to Disneyland. Yeah. But Um, you know, like even just a few minutes at bedtime, you know, where you just look into this little person's eyes and you really see that person for a second. Those moments really count.
1: Yeah, they really do. And it also doesn't, I mean, I know I've gone off and on of doing like special dates with one kid at a time. And sometimes that works with the family schedule and sometimes it doesn't. But one thing I've always been able to do is take one kid on an errand. And Mm. often that child, especially if they're kind of like three, four, five, six, kind of that, that butter zone where they're like, not old enough to think it's a drag to be taken out of the house, but also old enough that you can have a real conversation. Um, Mm. Those errands can be very special and Mm -hmm. you have to do it anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's another good way to kind of work those in.
2: Well, and I think in my case, I totally appreciated things about each kid more when I spent a little time with them alone because they were so different than the other kids. Yep. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's this thing about you. I remember that. that. Yeah, that (laughs) doesn't necessarily show up when we're all together as a group. And so that's those moments are great.
1: We are. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day, and it could seriously use a refresh. But you know what's good to go? My shoes. To claim this deal, go to hyahealth.com slash mom hour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to hiyahealt com slash mom hour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay. So we're back and we're going to talk about some older sibling dynamics. And Asha, I know you have, you have lots of thoughts about this, um, but I would love to hear your experiences And where your kids are now, and their ages now, and how things are, and just let us know what what's on your mind.
2: Okay, great. Well, ah, my kids. (laughs) Uh, My son is now nineteen. My daughter is fifteen, almost sixteen. So, uh, teenagers. One's off at college. One's in high school. Um, I will. I want to echo what you said before the break, which was that this is one of. The joy times of parenting—at least it has been for me. Um, these older years and these this time where these kids really have an established relationship—it has just been, uh, you know, those younger years are really hard for me mm. as a mom. And these years have been so much easier as they're as they've gotten older. So um, I will say it's so interesting um, because now the sibling relationship they have is at a distance since my son is in college out of state so uh i have even sort of yet another little piece of this puzzle to talk about um as they got older um i think that as they as their capabilities became more and more similar and that age difference between them became less sort of glaring their relationships improved. Mm. And so I found that there was a lot of tension when um, Sam was so clearly older and could do so much more than his sister. And he resented the fact that she wasn't doing the same chores he was or... You Know she was sort of the little kid, and so felt he felt like she got babied, although of course he didn't remember how he was treated right. at that they age. They
1: always have a very uh limited memory of, of those right. things, yeah,
2: which you know, totally understandable. You know what I mean? It's um, you know, and it's really funny. I think this actually, I, I'll share a detail about myself. I'm an only child, and so I do not bring my own lived experience to this whole like mothering siblings thing. And so I think sometimes I I was at a disadvantage knowing that. But um, as the kids got older and they could both reach stuff on an upper shelf or they could both lift something up and not need help, um, that really reduced a lot of the tension between them. That really, really helped. So, um, which is not to say they don't argue or fight. Uh, They do. Um, They have very different personalities. They don't agree about things. Um, There were definitely for sure, problems. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they're just, there are problems in every family. Let's just say that out loud. Um, But uh, it it just, it really smoothed out in so many ways. And um, I would say like, there's been an exponential leap now that he has moved out and is living his own life. There's a way to share that doesn't involve competitiveness. That's actually really lovely.
1: I love that. Well, yeah.
2: Yeah. What about your kids? Yeah.
1: So, well, we've kind of got like several that are in the process of kind of moving on. So my oldest is 21. Then there's a 19-year-old, 15, 13, and 10. And it's been interesting because now the two uh, the two biggest are bona fide adults. Um, one is still living at home. One moved out. But they're both, you know, they both have their adult lives going on. And they're both working. And they're both doing their thing. And they kind of come and go as they please. And it's just been a little it's been interesting to now see the other three function as a unit with where like the oldest two are floaters almost (laughs) like they'll come in and they'll have dinner with us and then they're doing their own thing. And they're not really expected to be part of the family unit the same way that we used to all be. And I really like it. It's like there's something missing, but something gained at the same time. Um, Another thing that I found this that is more specific, I guess, to just parenting, you said something about this being, your favorite time of parenting and how much easier it is for you. And I think some of that is because dynamics between the kids change, but I also think that the nature of parenting changes. I think now it's more emotional labor um, and less like chasing toddlers around a playground type layer, like labor. And I'm better at emotional labor. So I could see where for some people it would be actually more challenging as their kids get older. That's very true. I find it easier to deal with even a sibling argument when everyone can talk calmly and rationally to the most, for the most part, or at least express themselves to me, that's a hundred times easier than breaking up a fight between a seven year old and a five year old who are like having the most irrational fight over a toy. And I'm like, come on, <laughs> you know, like pull yourselves right. together. So like their, their problems have
2: matured along yeah, with well- them. Right. One, once again, it's like we said before, you know, there isn't a script for this. Right. And everyone there are so many variables that we can't control. And in some families, um, little people, like when they're young, they're difficult and flailing around. And when they become teen, teenagers, they mellow out. And for and some the other, people, sometimes it's, the, it's opposite. the opposite. Yes. And, true. and some people get both. Yeah, like a hard kid and a hard teen and some people get an easy kid and an easy teen. Like, like these are things we can't predict and control. So once again, it's a time to just sort of, sort of breathe and respond to the situation as it happens. And to, you know, but by then, but by the time they're older, you know, these people better. Right. You know, that really, really helps. It does. So yeah. I know
1: you had mentioned things like responsibilities and chores. And I mean, how does that play out? Well, now in your house, it's totally different because you only have one kid at home doing all oh, yeah. the, doing, doing all the, all the chores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's
2: talk, uh, let's talk about chores. Cause I feel like this is sort of a big, this was a big, uh, both. It was sort of a big bone of contention between my kids. Um, so right before Sam went college. They both had different chores based on their ages and capabilities, which caused tension. Um, but that was just sort of the way it goes. Um, and then um, then their chores became very similar. And then he left and now she does chores. Um, now, I will say our chore system is not perfect. Uh, it's not like I have cheerful children walking around, you know, like cleaning things up without being asked. I mean, this does not happen. And I think, and I think there are lots of things I could have done better when it comes to the chores. I will say that. And the thing that I would do if I could do it all over again, is that I would give them all responsibilities uh, starting as young as possible, Mm -hmm. you know? So including toddlers, I would just start giving them small responsibilities. But, you know, Whatever. Like we do what we do and we do the best we can and we can't go back. So now I think I just, you know, I just chair chores as much as much as uh, you know, have them do chores as much as possible. But well I think I guess that just the main thing is just that it got easier the more similar the chores the were the more
1: similar the chores were. I think in our case it's becoming because that's also happening. It's it's starting to level out, um, at least with the four oldest. Like Clara is still kind of she's ten, she's she has responsibilities, but they're just completely separate from the, what the boys are doing, um, which doesn't mean they're always more desirable or pleasant. Like, it's her job to scoop the litter box. No one wants that job. But <laughs> she, you know, she likes the cat. It's easy for her to get to all the stuff. Like, I'm very I'm very practical minded about the way I hand out chores. Yeah. And so I think. Number one thing, is this actually going to get done? <laughs> is this and it's not. I mean, I'm going to give them responsibilities no matter what, but if I'm going to give a kid a job that's always their job that needs to get done, then I need to make sure the right kid has the right job, I guess is Mm -hmm. what I'm getting at. And so I knew she would do a good job with that because all the supplies are in a place she can get to It's nothing's heavy, blah, 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 blah. Um, But with the older ones, I would say like between William who's 15 and Owen who's 13, it's starting to even out. Like the kinds of chores they do are starting to become more even. And what that's actually doing now is creating, it's kind of, pulling into like a bright harsh sunlight um how much better at chores william is than owen
2: oh that's and fascinating yes,
1: because when they were doing very different things when owen was just felt littler when he was like a little boy and he was doing little boy stuff and william was a bigger kid and doing bigger kid stuff he kind of just it, i don't know like he kind of got a pass right cuz he wasn't doing stuff that was on the same level now that they're doing chores on the same level everyone knows owen is like slacking <laughs> So it's been interesting to watch them them figure it out. Like they they will do a lot of that policing themselves. Well, that's if I allow it to happen. Now, the, the problem is that sometimes means everyone's stalling and nothing gets done. And then I have to step in and really ride Owen. But it has it's been interesting to watch that. The other interesting dynamic we have now is that Isaac is completely moved out, but he will come home on the weekend and hang out. and. Kind of doesn't often tell me if he's coming or going, like just shows up, wants to sit around, eat food. So he doesn't have chores anymore. And there's been a little bit of resistance when I've asked him to do something for me. And I have to be Mm. like, uh, yeah, I know that you don't live here anymore, but I'm still feeding you and you're still (laughs) using my electricity. And I bet you're going to take a shower here. You know what I mean? So like there's I have to kind of push back and and he's never been a kid. He's always been a kid who would do the chore that was he was asked to do, but never like super cheerfully. He just kind of did it when he got around to it. And I sometimes now have to be like, when I ask you to do something, it's just nice of you to do it. You know, like I know you don't have to. I know you're an adult, but you're going to come to my house. You're part of this family still. Please just do the thing. And he will do it. But I do sometimes get a little bit of an attitude from him. Do you Uh, have that when Sam comes home? (laughs)
2: Uh, well, we're about to find that out because he's going to be coming home from college pretty soon. Well, and I even talked to my husband about it. I said, we need to sort of get our story straight about, uh, you know, like what his responsibilities are. But one thing I did do, which I feel quite proud of myself for doing (laughs) actually was before he left for college, I really reframed chores. Uh, I said, all right, you know what? We're not talking about chores now. We're talking about move out skills. Now, let me tell you, you are going to be the most popular roommate ever if you actually know how to operate a mop and you understand (laughs) how to use a, you know, washing machine, et cetera, et cetera. So I really talked about, you know, like, what are the, what are the responsibilities and qualities of a desirable roommate? What are, you know, who's the person that's just going to get the eye roll from all the other roommates because they do things like, uh, you know, leave their crap all over the table. So, it was a totally different conversation than do this because uh, it's part of your responsibility. It's sort of like do this so that you're a functioning adult. Mm. And that was way more compelling to
1: my son. I can imagine. Way more compelling. Well, it's compelling. And compelling so, yeah. It's about him, right? It's it, not about what he can do for you. It's about like it's. I mean, even teenagers are self-centered. It's just the way it is.
2: It's not only about him, it's about how he's going to fare socially with right. his peers. And yep. so it was sort of it was a good thing. And I think I am hoping that um we can sort of continue that when he comes home. If I I have a feeling, if I were to predict right now, I would predict actually he's more open to doing chores. Now this this may completely reveal like how naive I am as a parent of a <laughs> college uh, college freshman. Um but uh, you know, the other, op- the other possibility is that he just completely regresses and is like, oh, thank goodness I'm back
1: home. I, can, I just, can just like, do, whatever. do whatever. So,
2: you know, we'll see. We will see. Please or he, tune may just, in later. he
1: may have just gotten out of the habit. Like that mm-hmm. might, he may, he may be so far removed from how your household runs because he's been right. so focused on this other thing for nine months that it might be like literally retraining.
2: Mm -hmm. But isn't it funny how, I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm, I am, I am a 50 year old woman. Uh, when I go back home to my parents' house, I find myself doing things that I did when I was a teenager. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And I was a really good teenager, so it's nothing bad, but I definitely am like sitting around, let my mom do the dishes. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I really shouldn't do that anymore. So there is something to be said for like dynamics, so yes, they, yeah. they do
1: creep into your brain they, they
2: rear their their, their their ugly heads but you know something else you really just addressed now is that you have you have different kids who act differently and have different um you know skill levels yeah um we have to treat them differently even when they're older yeah um so is that that's something that i have really uh, I mean it was sort of obvious to me but now that they're older and they can do similar things I still need to communicate with them really differently about not only what they do around the house but how they relate to each other.
1: Yeah, that's very true and I I think that there were certain kids of mine who needed things to almost be gamified um when they were younger and it it like <laughs> I remember having this conversation like if you get all the balls into the bin, you get a hundred points, like a hundred points meant nothing. It literally was not tied to a prize, but I had one son in particular and another one that was similar, um, who would do things for points, even though the points didn't mean anything. It's and so, it's it, like so fascinating. Different the, people are so interesting. Yes. And those two kids, by the way, also would rate my dinner and rate <laughs> um, like the job I did on like cleaning the kitchen. So it was like it basically went back and forth. But we we all had a good sense of humor about it. So yeah. what would work with getting those kids to do something for me is completely different than the kid who wants to do something just to just to get along and be a good citizen or for the for the satisfaction of a job well done. No, not all kids are ever going to care about the satisfaction of a job well done. It's just mm-hmm. not. It's just I not agree. how it is. Some want the the praise. Some want the affirmation. Some need to have their hands held. And I guess I'm willing to do whatever I have to do for us all to uh, cohabitate as peacefully as possible. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely change things up based on the kid.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: And you're right that as they all equal out, as they even out age wise, it just becomes more stark. The fact that you're doing it differently for every kid. But I've never. I, I just still. I treat my friends differently. I treat my yeah. siblings differently.
2: Yeah, it all makes sense. And I think sometimes we get locked into this, like, I have to treat my kids equally.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: um, I think there's a difference between sort of being equitable and then doing exactly the same thing. Because, yes. when, you know, when you're dealing with two different personalities, doing this exact same thing for each person just doesn't make sense. And I I think we know that on some basic level, but still it, it – um, you know it can get confusing and sometimes kids you know push our buttons on that stuff
1: i i think that it's like a i don't know a quote i heard one time and i think it was related to marriage but i think it applies here is that um you know everybody giving their all or being equitable isn't about two people giving 50-50 it's about two people giving 100% of whatever mm-hmm. it is they have to give mm-hmm. and so if if you know that all of your kids and let's be honest maybe with your kids it's more like 90% but <laughs> if you know that everyone is doing what they can to the best of their abilities and that you're communicating with each of them to the best of your ability to communicate with each of them in the way that works for them, then it might not always look like everyone doing their, quote, fair share, unquote. And that's life. I mean, it's not, fairness doesn't exist always when you're dealing with, like, fairness, the way we look at it where there's a pie and there's a certain number of slices and all the slices are the same size is not how family life works.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which sort of brings up another topic for me, which is that notion with older siblings of really having to step back as a parent and give them space to work things out Mm -hmm. with each other. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at this point when they're older, you know, they have their own ways of communicating that may not match up with the way you communicate or I communicate. And they really do at this point need to craft that relationship. They need to, because, you know, one of them's gonna move out soon enough. Yeah. Like they need to have a relationship that's not, um, that doesn't use you as the center point all yeah. the time. And so I think that's really important to give them that space.
1: They're able to create that. Their relationship will outlive yours. It's mm. more important, oh, I think. Man, you made and, me almost cry uh, with sorry, that one. But <laughs> oh, oh. I mean, it really is true. It, yeah, of course in, it is. In 50 years, unless, mm-hmm. well, okay, you could still be around in 50 years, Asha, but. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be helping them navigate their adult relationships then. Right. So they, this has to exist on its own. Um, I actually think this was something I was very fortunate to kind of default into with a bigger family. Um, when my kids were little, we definitely had house rules. Like there's a certain tone you are not allowed to take with me or with anybody else. There are words you do not use to your brother. You don't call him stupid. Like the, you know, those kinds of things. We don't say shut up, like things like that. Other than that, I was, not checked out, but I was busy (laughs) and I had, I couldn't be there for every dynamic. Like I couldn't be there to oversee every interaction. And I think that my kids kind of had to figure it out for themselves. They had like these very basic guidelines as a starting point, which by the way, they didn't always obey. And I know that when I was out of the room, they said shut up and called each other stupid, but it was like anything that mom's going to catch, like may catch um, wind of it better like look a certain way. And I think that did spill over. And then I think that they just kind of had to work it out for themselves. And are they all equally close? No, but I know they all enjoy each other's company. Um, and they all to some degree enjoy spending time together and they have a really strong family dynamic. Like they really see themselves as special, like the Starks and the, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like the game of Thrones. Like, I really think that they see themselves as a very different and special unit. And so regardless of how each individual relationship is like what it state it's in at any given time, I feel good about that part. Because that's what I think will take will carry them through a lot of those conflicts that they're gonna have. It's going to happen. Sure.
2: Sure. Oh, so that's I, I have heard a similar story from, you know, friends who have bigger families. Um there, you know, there's a certain um you know, energy that can only exist with that many people that just doesn't exist when there's a smaller number of people in the family. And, again, as an, as a person who grew up without siblings, um, you know, this is all, this is all new to me even now. And yeah. I think that's, that is actually a, a gift of, of having a larger family from what I've, you know, from what I've heard from friends as well. yeah, You know, like at a certain point you can't, you, like, you can't handle all that stuff. They've got to handle it on their own. and And that is, that's, there's a beauty to that.
1: There is. And I think that, you know, it just shows that every family size has its upsides and its downsides, right? Because mm-hmm. I remember very specifically thinking, I wish I had time and space to be more intentional. And if if I had two kids, I could do that. But with Mm -hmm. five, I have to kind of like give them some guidelines and then let them go at it. And so Mm -hmm. it just, it's just two different ways to get to the same goal, I guess. Right,
2: right, right. And the flip side of that is sometimes, you know, with two kids, I would, uh, I would wish that I, I didn't feel so involved in every single thing that was going on between them. Yeah. And so it's, it's a, it's a funny thing like that. And, um, you know, which is funny too, because uh, I think it's worth noting that this is temporary. Because eventually, these older kids start leaving the house. It's funny when you're talking about your 21 year old coming and going. I'm like, he is a literal adult, yeah. like literal adult. Literal. Mine's adult, a yeah. you know almost adult. Yours is a literal adult, and um, I think it's worth talking about that space that's yeah. created when older kids leave. And yeah. there, it's you know, like there was a point where you went from five kids to four kids in the house or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, I now have one kid in the house. And so where my son got three years of alone time, almost four years of alone time with us as a baby, my daughter's getting that time with us as a teenager. And oh my gosh, how fascinating a time this is. I think it's worth um, just... For those of you who have multiple kids, it's just worth noting that this space lives somewhere in your future. And it's really
1: fascinating. It is. And you know, I have to say, so I have not yet experienced that, right? I still have Mm -hmm. multiple people in my house most of the time. But Mm -hmm. one thing I think is interesting. So my 21-year-old lives here. And my three youngers, because um, my ex and I divorced, my three youngers are with their dad half the time. And my 21-year-old does not leave most of that time. So he's here. I mean, he's working and stuff, but he's around. So now we almost have, so I had two years with him just by himself when he was a baby. And now for three days of the week, I often have time with just him again, or sometimes the 19 year old will come back during that time. Cause he knows just his closest age brother is here and they'll hang out. So mm. sometimes it's just me and the two of them. It's interesting. Like it just, everybody relates differently. Um, I find it interesting how, and I'm saying this like quietly because he's like in the next room, how needy my 21 year old sometimes is Mm -hmm. when the younger siblings are gone. Like he misses them and kind of has this, I don't know, like is asking when they'll be home and they'll be home and stuff. So it's just, I don't know, like it does create space. But right now for me, it's all over the place. Like people are coming and going. And so my life, like who, who I'm spending time with on any given day could look totally different than who I'm spending time with the next day. Which is so different from the life I had for all those years where it was five little humans in my face constantly. Oh, man. So, <laughs> yeah. just, just like yeah. just like the
2: amount of human energy in yes. one
1: in one hour period. It's a much quieter energy now. And I find myself looking forward to times, like little pockets of quiet time I get with this or that kid because, you know, or even like my fifteen year old might happen to be here on a day that his siblings are with his dad because maybe he had a driver's ed or something. And so he's Mm going to stay with me that night. So it might be just me and him. And like, it's a surprise. I don't even always know what's going to happen. And it's cool, but like, it's a little, it's like, instead of having all the chaos all the time, just getting used to it, it's kind of like these little pockets of surprises, um, which I enjoy, but I'm like less used to now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Well, and I think,
2: I think I think the other thing is that it's not just, you know, there's this sort of logistical space, meaning right. there are few, fewer mouths to feed, fewer people to keep track of in terms of, you know, plans and logistics and the car and all that stuff. There's also this um, emotional space, yeah. this emotional sort of roller coaster, which is that, you know, the dynamics with one person may really change. It's sort of funny when you talk about your 21-year-old feeling a little bit like, where is everybody, you know, like there is a certain way that a family works when everyone's around and when everyone's not around, it works differently. And, and so um, that's also just something to sort of just make a note of and be prepared for. And, and it's cool. Like it, it is what it is, you know, it's good.
1: Yeah, it is good. And you're about to see now how that will change back. Mm -hmm. I'm so curious for the summer, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I too am very curious and I, um, you know, I have to, I have been thinking a bit like, what does it look like to be, um, you know, a parent who still needs to set some boundaries with a person who is an adult and who is in the house, not, not as a guest, this is Mm -hmm. his home, but not exactly like it was before. What, what does that look like? I mean, it's all It's all new. And so I definitely am going to be trying to follow my own advice uh, as much as I can, which is to sort of like take stock in the moment and just try to adjust as it happens. You know, um, I just remembered a book that I really want to mention before we finish up this conversation. And of course, I didn't write down the the author's name, but it's a really old book called Siblings Without Rivalry. That was a great book that I I read years ago. Is it
1: like a Delph? adele Adele fabish or something like that adele faber okay it's two women adele faber Faber and and elaine maslish i just i just made fablish into a name
2: (laughs) okay that's the thing i almost said adele fablish but it's not it's maslish and faber thank you for saying that because they wrote siblings without rivalry which is a great book it's a fabulous book and they also wrote how to talk so kids will listen and and how to listen, so kids will talk. And that actually echoes back to something I said at the beginning of this episode, which is that whole notion of reflecting back to kids, what you hear them saying
1: to you. I think that Mm -hmm. was a technique I picked up in that book. Yes, that was from uh, how to listen, how to to talk so kids will listen, listen, so kids will talk. I definitely remember that, using that as a Bible of sorts when my kids were becoming verbal.
2: Yeah, I feel like those two books really helped with the with the sibling transition with just the whole, you know, sort of being a parent of siblings thing.
1: Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Well, I can't wait to hear how this all plays out. And I will tell you that as I've had I've had kids leave my house and come back um, after months and months being gone. And there are things you don't even know annoyed you. (laughs) Mm. I've heard it's not
2: always easy that that are going to
1: suddenly be very clear. Like, Oh, that is the kid. What's, uh, what's interesting is when one leaves, you realize what that kid always did that drove you nuts, but you didn't know which kid was doing it. So like, which kid is it that always pees on the seat in my house? I have a lot of boys (laughs) or which kid is it who always puts the peanut butter knife, like on the edge of the sink and it gets peanut butter everywhere or whatever it is. And so I can now identify because my two oldest have both left and come back. I can identify who it is who leaves the Afghan on the sofa all messed up, like the throw blanket. I just, I know who that is now. And I've got my eye on that person, right? So there's just like a little list, like a little annoyance list that sometimes those shifting people coming and going, it makes it clearer. You you start to have more information than you had before. Okay, Megan, you gotta, (laughs) let
2: me have my fantasy, okay? Like right now, my little fantasy is, my son's coming home. I miss him. It's going to be so awesome. And, and it, and it will. And also all those things are going to happen. (laughs) And, you know, if it's anything based on, uh, you know, I have neighbors whose kids are older than mine. And so, uh, there were definitely some times when I would run into some of those neighbors, you know, during the summer, like on the sidewalk or whatever. And I'd say, Oh, so and so's home. How's it going? And they would sort of look at me. Their eyes would sort of widen (laughs) and go, it's,
1: it's good. It's interesting is what my, they would say. My and I realized, is,
2: okay. Yeah.
1: My guess is you will love the first few minutes um, or the first few months. And then by August, you'll be ready for him to go again. And that is how it <laughs> w- should be. And he will probably be ready to go as exactly, well. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this well, has been we'll so see. fun. Yeah, check Asha. in with me. Yeah. Let's check in like in the fall and see how things are going. Cause I'm really yeah. curious, but this has been really fun. And again, if you guys want to, um, we can link up that book in the show notes. It'll be episode two twelve um, at the mom but, um, definitely check out Asha's podcast that she does with Christine Coe. It's called edit your life. And we will have that also linked up in. The show notes, um, but you can find Edit Your Life anywhere podcasts are found. Asha, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Oh, my pleasure. I feel like I learned something from you, actually. This has been great. I
1: learned a ton today as well. So we will talk to you guys soon.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Sarah. Don't forget to check out my conversation with Christine Koh on Edit Your Life later this week. Just head to edityourlifeshow.com or look for Edit Your Life wherever you listen to the mom hour. Just look for The
1: Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.